every one of us is, in the cosmic perspective, precious. If a human disagrees with you, let him live. In a hundred billion galaxies, you will not find another. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts here in England, Matthew Russell and Harry Brettel. Oh, oh, Sagan. He oh. just brings chills to your spine, doesn't it? It's, uh, yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's quite funny. I've, I've been teaching dissertation. I've been using Sagan's baloney detection kit as a, <laughs> as, as a form of critical thinking. Amazing. The students liked it. They liked it. They liked it yeah. a lot. It's great. You know, the thing I find amazing about Sagan is he somehow manages to combine both making you feel incredibly insignificant in the grand scheme of the universe but at the same time incredibly special right it's yeah. it's just that that way you can match those two ways of seeing and interpreting the vastness of the universe that is just very profound yeah no totally and that's what that, that's, i guess that's what the pale blue dots all about isn't it it, it, it mm. simultaneously makes us seem totally insignificant while at the same time totally significant yeah, uh, yeah. I know we should. I, I I keep saying we should always be in a state of wonder after that Arthur C. Clarke quote about about the whole universe being either full of life or just us, and either is terrifying. And it's like, well, so we should be continually in this state of awe that we're either alone. Oh my God, that's yeah. amazing. Or there's loads of life out there in the universe. That's amazing. So we should always be in that state because it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wh- whichever it is, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? Yeah. Oh. Oh. This is how I needed to start my Sunday <laughs> <laughs> with some uh, existential yeah, yeah, okay, well, realizations. I mean, but this is it. I mean, we've we've started with the enthusiasm of space, mm-hmm. which I think is really appropriate. This whole episode is going to be about being young and like actually entering into the space industry, right? And yeah. Harriet, you're an ultimate example of this. <laughs> I fought my way in, but <laughs> you're you're re- you're young, aren't you? I'd like to think so. Yeah, think just about. <laughs> yeah, young space professional. So, well, I, I tell you what, what. What is it right now that you think is exciting about space? What, what yeah. made you? What made you go into space? Uh, well, what made me go into space was Carl Sagan quotes. To be completely honest with you, I remember reading Contact when I must have been like, oh, I can't remember how old, but just being like, wow, this is it. I want to be Ellie Arroway. That, like, that's my dream. Uh, and then, you know, somewhat got a little bit like, no, I wouldn't say disillusioned, but kind of was like, oh, well, I've got a maths degree. What do I do working in the space industry? I don't want to be an astronaut. And like, um, so so went to work into finance, right? And then realised a bit after that, actually, I do love space. Let's go back to those astronomy routes. And it was through kind of, stumbling through this non-traditional career path I've kind of ended up working in the space industry and it's been so rewarding yeah I would not change a thing about it now yeah it's funny isn't it because it doesn't take too long does it to pivot your entire career path I always think you know like like a master's what sometimes takes well, I've heard about some masters that take a weekend, but let's not go into them. <laughs> but like Maybe a, a two, more questionable. <laughs> yeah, like you know, if you say right, I'm gonna, I've got a maths degree, I'm gonna do a a, a masters in 
you know, at, at the ISU, at the International Space University or something like that. And, and then you, suddenly you've pivoted your entire career into, into a whole new realm. Yeah, and it's quite amazing because I remember thinking at the time, I was like, oh, you know, I've invested all this time in a career in finance and, you know, it's going to take me ages and I'm going to get so behind my peers if I try and pivot and go and do something else. And it it took me kind of having that realisation, like you say, it's like, well, actually, it took me, what, two, three years to pivot into a job in the space industry to get back to where I was career-wise. And if I'm going to be working for the next what you know 40 50 years like that's nothing you know that that's 100 percent worth it like to continue on another path just because it's going to take you a year or two to transition is is silly right so yeah well i know finance is incredibly exciting especially <laughs> like spreadsheets and uh, <laughs> bank transactions and ledgers and all those ledger codes oh, for ledger codes endless fascination so what was it about space that you thought oh, actually this might actually be more exciting than than ledger codes um yeah I know I mean it's a really hard one to balance isn't it you know which is more exciting <laughs> but I think for me it wasn't about what I I, all, I always knew I found space more interesting it was for me it was kind of more having the realization and confidence that I had skills that I could bring to the space industry because I very much saw it as a right you're either going to be an engineer building spacecraft or you're going to be an astronaut and I didn't like at the time realize there was this whole other world of you know opportunities in the space industry and so it was only when actually oh so I was I was living in New York and I was as you do on a Sunday afternoon, Googling Carl Sagan. And I discovered that there was a conference happening in California, which was called the Carl Sagan Exoplanet Workshop. And I was like, right, like, yeah, this sounds like a fun way to spend a week in California. I'm going to go, which was ridiculous at the time because everyone else was like a PhD student there. And I was working in a bank on the other side of the US. It was like, did not fit in in the slightest. Um, But the workshop was all about how you use statistics to detect exoplanets. And I was like, well, wait a second, all this statistics that these guys are talking about, I know how to do this. Like, this is this is finance stuff, right? And so that kind of flipped a switch in my mind to be like, actually, there are things that I can do from what I've done previously that are still relevant here. And then that was that was where I Oh, do you know what? I I wish I'd had an experience like that because I after doing my acoustics degree, I, mm. I, 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 I obviously, being the BTEC Brian May that I am, I thought that I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted to go into the music industry. I was a guitar player and all that thing. And, and, and I never, it just never occurred to me that the stuff that I'd done as an engineer in acoustics would mm. it, even related to space. And then, of course, when I, when I like exactly that experience of hearing people that I thought were loads brainier than me or or mm. like I'd studied something completely different and then hearing hearing them talking about Fourier transforms and things like that and going oh, hang on a second I I know about that stuff yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and you go oh yes ah oh, I, I could have I actually could have done that and I, um, I guess I, I suppose it's not too late for me I suppose I could even at the age of 49 I could pivot and, and uh, well you know but it's it's um, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, but I do mm-hmm. think space right now. Surely we're going to see this absolutely huge um, 
a, a really big recruitment uh, sort of phase where people are excited about space because I, I think mm-hmm. that people like Elon Musk love him or loathe him, and I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> or, or, in fact, he's a bit like Schrodinger's cat when it comes to love and hate. Very polarizing, it, right? Yeah, you know. but he's definitely he's definitely switching between those two quantum states. <laughs> I, I don't I don't feel as though I have complete ambivalence towards him. <laughs> he's somewhere in he's he's yeah he's the Schroder, Schrodinger's cat personality, but he has made space really exciting again because. Mm-hmm. I, particularly when it comes to sort of human space flight, even yeah. though even though really weirdly he's only in the last year and a half been launching humans, right? But but mm-hmm. it, it's the fact that somehow that the way that he's doing it is seems exciting, and yeah. you know Starship seems exciting. The fact that he's saying that he's going to be landing a Starship on the moon, I mean, let's face it, how exciting will it be if in twenty twenty four? Yeah. Elon Musk lands a starship on the moon. It's pretty mad, isn't it? it? Like, imagine watching it on the telly. Awesome. It, it would yeah. just be, it'd be totally ridiculous. So I, I, I do think that people will want to get involved in that sort of engineering and all the propulsion side. But then there's all things like the pictures of black holes, gravitational wave, um, space tourism, space stations, Earth observation stuff, helicopters on Mars, all those sort of things. It's all growing, right? And, and like you say, you know, what's really interesting is things like things like space tourism are going to open up other sectors, other parts of the space industry as well, right? So it's not just going to be, oh, you need engineers to build the spacecraft. You're going to need, you know, you're going to need people who can do tourism guides for what you're going to expect on your space flight you're going to need people who can you know work in the more of the hospitality side of working at a spaceport right it's um yeah there's just so many things that are going to open up and it's like you say I, I do wonder sometimes if like every 10 years people have this kind of conversation and they're like oh it's such an exciting time we've got ahead but maybe this time it's different Matt and it really does feel like it because you know you've got well, you've got SpaceX launching crewed astronauts into space, right? You know, even what was it? Just this weekend, mm. right? Um, but we've also got things like the Inspiration4 mission taking place this year. And that is a, I mean, just an incredible mission, right? Raising funds for, for charity at the same time as, you know, bringing people who, who you know, are not traditional astronauts. Having that opportunity to go into space is just amazing. Um, and then you've got... What's the name of the the, the Dear Moon project, <laughs> yeah, which is a, a bit of an interesting one? It's very uh, interesting. I, I it ties in. I guess it ties in with how much how much confidence you have with Starship being something that happens soon or mm. later. So, so is that relying on Starship? The plan is that they would loop yeah, around the moon to, on to Starship. On Starship, yeah. Which right, which yeah. would be interesting. I think the interesting bit. I, I don't doubt you can get a starship in orbit around the moon. It's the landing for me. It's still, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, there has never been a time, has there, where someone like Elon Musk has been bashing together rockets in the, in Boca Chica out of, you know, steel and, and just flying them and blowing them up. I mean, that's that, that yeah. that's never happened before. There's definitely something super exciting about that. But also, I mean, there, there's, there's loads of things that are sort of starting to happen in terms of things like agriculture and 
where you've got, you know, um, Earth observation stuff mm -hmm. and the Internet of Things, you know, that, that relies on space. And then you've got these massive space constellations where all our telecommunications and our Internet is going to start, you know, more and more of it's going to be space-related. Mm -hmm. And you think, yeah, they're, they're, there's, there's just tons and tons of things happening now where loads of technologies, what they, what do they call it, convergence, <laughs> where loads of technologies <laughs> are all coming together all at the same time um, and suddenly it just feels like it's a busy mm -hmm. place to be, an exciting place to be. I mean, you can be, like you said, you can be anything. I mean, J Jamie may still get his dream job of being the cabin boy of Virgin Galactic because <laughs> he, he wanted to just go up and down serving people. There, what, serving drinks. Serving drinks. He's very good at making coffee. I think he he won Barista of the Month or something at his local Costa. But well, there you go. Yeah, but no, you're right, exactly. And I think what's really interesting is that there's there's so many more. You know, I I hope I think that there is a greater awareness of how we use space and satellites in everyday life. You know, and and so there's a lot more applications now of how you could use space technology. And, and that's really exciting as well, because in a way, space becomes less of this, oh, it's this far off thing that's kind of abstract and, you know, uh, far away from people's lives to just being right. This is just another platform. You know, this is a new new place we can do things in the same way that we can do things on Earth. We can do things, you know, on the Internet, you know, space becomes a new, you know, a new platform to jump off on to right. do more things. So. Get this, this is very good timing. Jenna's just appeared in the waiting room. Oh, I'm yes. Gonna, I'm going to let her in. So yes. let's, let's get Jenna in to talk about what we're definitely going to be talking about. Let's do it. Well, well, welcome to the podcast, Jenna. Thank you. Exciting. I'm so excited to be here. Well, yeah. Well, we were in the middle of talking about, about opportunities and, and getting into, into the space industry. And I know that uh, yourself and Harriet, are involved with a BIS, a British Interplanetary Society project called NextGen. Is that right? Yeah, it's the the NextGen network, which actually launched um, earlier this month, which we're we're super excited about. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's meant to hopefully address some of this, you know, and remove the barriers to entering the space industry and just really creating a really positive environment for people within the space industry as well to really uplift each other. Um, knowledge share, all that good stuff, which, um, and I think the BIS, the British Interplanetary Society, is just such a good platform for that. So Harriet and I were so excited about getting this together and it was many months in the making. So <laughs> we were so pleased that the launch event was a success, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I actually think it's, it's a two-way street, isn't it, with NextGen and BIS? Because I think that, that the BIS needs totally. that element for, you know, and I guess that's I guess that's might be important for people all around the world if they look at their own space societies and think, you know, is it is the is the space society what I want it to be, or can I make it what I want it to be? And I guess because yeah. you two are kind of making the BIS more like it should be in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really exciting because and um, every time we talk to, you know, council members or people within the BIS, they always raise the fact that actually the founders of the BIS were more close to our age than the average age of the member now. Um, and so it really kind of shows this shift in, in you know, acknowledgement that the young generation definitely has its own role to play. 
Um, and I think that's something that, you know, definitely more societies in, in space and even in other industries can definitely recognize. And it's exactly as you said, it's a two-way street. We, we're really hoping to kind of, you know, bring something to the BIS as well, right? Like we we want to we want to kind of leverage as much of the experience and the expertise and the heritage that they have already. So very, very much two-way street. And so far it's been great. We've got some really great support from there too. So before we delve further into that, Jenna, tell us, because everyone's heard about Harriet's background. So Jenna, tell us. I'm bored of me now. (laughs) We're all bored. We're all bored of Harriet. I'm not. I still see all the stuff Harriet's doing. No, I know. It's it's mind blowing. (laughs) Of course, I jest. (laughs) But uh, so Jenna, yeah, well, tell us a little bit about your journey because you're super young. So but but you seem to have done a lot of things. So yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, I do a lot too. I am um, so my background is aerospace engineering. I was always, you know, space has always been a passion of mine. I just remember like, and it sounds really cheesy, but being at school and everyone else is drawing like castles and kings, and then there's me drawing like trying to design eco-friendly rocket, and I was just I was like that weird kid. Um, and then always did well at maths and physics. I so decided to study aerospace. Um, went to University of Southampton. Loved my degree. Um, then I, yeah, found engineer the, the engineering side of space wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. Um, explored things like consulting and investment banking, which is another typical route. Um, then, so applied for that, offers wonderful happy days. Watched the film The Martian, had a bit of a breakdown. I was like, oh my God, I'm so just not ready to give up this amazing, like, pursuit of space and you know, so found the ISU, the International Space University, um, did my second master's there, which was really a, a, a kind of inflection point for me. I, you know, it, it really exposes you to the other other side of space, which you really don't get to see that much, right? Like I thought that NASA, NASA and science and engineering was the full stop of space in my young naivety. And, and actually going to ISU, I really realized that for me, what I wanted to achieve in the space industry was kind of bridging the business side and the technical side. Um, Cause I just think that if those two sides can talk to each other, the progress the space industry could make would be mind blowing, right? Like if we can actually put together a business case of why we should do this, it would be awesome. So long story short, um, I'm now a management consultant at Bain and company have been here for about three and a half years. Um, very much my day job, but outside of work is where I really get my space fix of, Things like the BIS, um, I work in within SGAC a lot, so the Space Generation Advisory Council, of which Harriet's a co-chair. Um, on that, we're putting together, it's the Eagle Action Team, um, the SGA's perspective on lunar governance, um, and then lots of other little bits, um, yeah, helping out a, an amazing nonprofit in Tokyo called Space Tide. Um, I'm also the co-chair of a Moon Village Association working group for lunar economics. Um, and so, yeah, lots of different things, but... <laughs> Wow. Just well, a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop there because it's time where the guts going to get boring. So, but I'm um, very much outside of work. I get my space fixed. So yeah, dabbling lots of different. I, I, I love the home. fact that those are all the things you do outside of work. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's like a, it's a love hate relationship, right? Because I feel like I need to get my space fixed, and at the same time, it's like okay, another another six hours of work still on the weekend. <laughs> but I love it. It doesn't feel like work, so it's all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's exactly it's exactly the same with the podcast. Actually, I mean, it's it's, it's like if, if yeah, it's a subject, it. if it's a subject that you that you really love, it's it's not work, is it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so what's the main ambitions of of this of the next gen network? Then, what? How? how why did you feel as it, as though it needed creating? And um, you know, what are the goals of it? 
Yeah, so I can I can speak to my perspective and then I guess how it, how it comes to share hers. It's um so for me, it, it being being in the building of the BIS, I just felt that it was so, it had so much potential that wasn't really reaching into perhaps the younger generation of society that it could do. Um, being there, I kind of felt like there is obviously such a strong sense of community, and I I, I was wondering why I hadn't come across it earlier. And that was really the reason for me. It was just this, what, how does this thing exist for 10 minutes walk away from where I live? And I have no idea of how, how to get involved and, you know, the events going on. And so for me, it was a, yes, I can become a member, but also why? Like, why have I not heard about it? And how can I fix that? Because if I'm in that situation and I've been to ISU and done a degree in aerospace engineering, then God only knows what it could be like for people that are outside the space industry looking to get inside it. So for me, it was really a sense of just how can we connect with the community around the BIS, especially the young generation. What about mm-hmm. what about yeah. you? What about you, Harriet? Oh, Jenna's nailed it. I don't know if I've got much to add. I, I think yeah, it, like same thing. You know, uh, for me, like one of the one of the things I feel really strongly is. I very much remember being someone who was on the outside of the space industry looking in and desperately trying to find ways to get involved and ways to build up that experience. And Matt, we were talking before about, you know, Googling Carl Sagan on a Sunday. There's got to be something more productive, like to get into space and just Googling Carl Sagan on a Sunday, right? Mm. And so that's that's the idea here is that we can create a community of you know students and young professionals within the British Interplanetary Society. Um you know, to build that community, to build more of that, um, you know, share that passion with people who who have those same interests and being able to, you know, soak up that history and heritage from an organisation like the BAS is amazing, right? Because there is so much history there, which is amazing. And um, there's so much experience. And so, you know, being able to pass that on and, and get more um, of the younger generation to flow up through that organisation as well is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it was the it was the original aim of the interplanetary podcast was and an, was you know outreach for the outreach for the BIS. Hence, hence the very <laughs> hence the very similar name. <laughs> because oh, yeah. because because it, well because exactly the same story really. I I only stumbled across it. I'd, I'd joined other sort of associations like, you know, the Astronomical Society and all those kind of, you know, mm-hmm. those space-related things. And, and actually, I thought, actually, the, looking back to my childhood, the thing that I was more excited about were things that the BIS talked about, <laughs> which yeah. was, mm-hmm. you know, and and I thought, oh, my God, how, yeah, how have I not heard about them? And it yeah. almost seemed, they almost seemed a little bit, obscure like it was like what what are they talking about interplanetary society and and it's like they're they're designing interstellar spacecraft are they are they all mad that almost actually made me slightly more intrigued because it was sort of like this it seemed like a sort of crazy outlandish you know from imagination to reality type thing but then when yeah when you hear the story of the fact that you know these were the people that were thinking about how to land on the moon and didn't get it far wrong (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thought about yeah. spacesuits and didn't get it far wrong. You think, yeah, and, and, and it's the same with the German society, which unfortunately didn't quite make it, did it? It's sort of, it's not still going in the same way that the BIS managed to somehow survive all the way till today, So, which is amazing. I mean, 
it's quite extraordinary that you have an organisation like the British Interplanetary Society that was founded in 1933, right? I mean, like, there's a there's an amazing amount of foresight from those people in 1933 to be like, oh yeah, okay, well we don't we don't have you know, we don't have space flight at all at this point, right? But we're going to envisage this future in space. And Jenna, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, you know, the founder of the BIS was 25 years old. Arthur C. Clarke joined the British Interplanetary Society when he was 19, right? So there is this history of, you know, you know, the younger generations really providing that energy to kickstart the organisation. And that's what we want to yeah, follow on and and it's incredible, right? Because you like there's a you can you you stumble across a random person that's kind of lived in the UK at some point, heavily involved in the space industry, and at some point they have been a part of the BIS, whether it's worked in the library or like attended an event, and so it really has had an impact, I think, on a lot of people. And the fact that these kind of conversations about you know futuristic concepts. They just haven't been phased for, I mean, however many years now about kind of, you know, progress of other countries. They've just continued like to have these really dynamic, passion filled conversations. Um, and it's, I think it's kind of sustain them, right? Like you, there's not many other places on the, on the earth you can go and talk about how to land on Mars and have a decent conversation about it with, <laughs> with four other people that have also thought about it. So, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That it's, in some ways, I think that the, the, the role of the BIS and maybe some of these other space societies was slightly um, usurped by science fiction. So, mm, you know, I, yeah. I think a lot of science fiction writers and TV programs like Star Trek started to do a yeah. lot of that thinking. And both of you, you know, were influenced by by science fiction essentially weren't you and and sort of that's yes, one of the reasons sure. why you wanted to do it so but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing isn't it that that Arthur C Clarke was both maybe that's what saved the BIS the fact that he <laughs> he was he was thinking about it seriously because some some of his some of his early papers that you read really they they're really great to read as well like i've got a book of his mm -hmm. of kind of actual serious thinking about space mm -hmm. which obviously then informed yeah, his science I fiction no, so I was I was just gonna say, Matt, I think we did a podcast. Oh god, it was it was yonks ago now, maybe like a couple of years ago. Yeah. But we did a whole podcast on the oh, yeah. science fiction, right? Well, the, like, well still crazy. The, 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 the revelation is is um what's his name? Jules Verne. Not is it Jules Verne? Am I Jules No, um it's Werner von Braun in his Mars book, right? Says and it's Elon is the is the Leader of Mars. Yeah, Jenna, have you heard this story? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I am so intrigued to hear more. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Jules Verne's one was the fact that he said that three astronauts would take off from Florida. And he yeah, let me... <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, oh. uh, but Werner von Braun was the... Yeah, Elon is the leader of Mars. The, let the, me see if I can find it. Like... Yeah, okay. So, can't remember when, but in... Uh, must have been the 40s or, you know, mm. let's just say in the, in the not too distant past, uh, Werner von Braun wrote a book called Project Mars, A Technical Tale, where he laid out his vision of how we could get humans to Mars and inferring as much as he could from, you know, the reality of rocketry technology at the time, but also a little bit more of foresight and imagination in terms of what society would look like when we move to this other planet, right? 
and in it he talks about what the um, what the government would look like, what would be the frameworks, how would you build the society. And I'm just going to quote here, and he says. The Martian government was directed by 10 men, the leader of whom was elected by universal suffrage for five years and entitled Elon. That is freaky. <laughs> I'm like, that's weird. That's it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's not exactly the most common name, is it, Elon? <laughs> oh, my God. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I, wonder what, I wonder what came first, right? Though, imagine if Elon Musk read this and was like, I need to make this happen. Well, it, it might be a yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> either way, either way, God. Well, no, <laughs> so pretty wild. Who do you want to be involved in next gen, and how, and how do those people get in, involved with it? Yeah, so um, to be honest, it's anyone aged eighteen to thirty-five. Um, whether you're a student or a young professional, um, you can get involved. Um, we honestly you don't have to be and this is something that we really want to have you don't have to be a space nerd or know everything about you know orbital mechanics to get involved if you're interested in space then it's purely just create a community so um how you can get involved is you can sign up you can log on to the british interplanetary society website um and there's a little form you can fill in you don't have to be a bis member um there are kind of different access rights uh, depending on whether you are or aren't. Um, but honestly, at this stage, it's anyone between age 18 to 35. And if you are even remotely interested in space, um, very much feel free to get involved, for sure. Mm-hmm. So check out the website, have a look. We're going to be organising events. We're going to be, um, yeah, looking at how we can build more of that community. And and at the moment, we're open to ideas as well, you know. So, you know, the, again, on the website, if people have got ideas of what we could do to help, strengthen that community within the bis then um yeah we want to we want to hear those ideas and make them happen yeah it's very much trying to help people more than anything it's not it's not meant to be another society another network another newsletter we're really just trying to it's trying to help people right and and so whatever is most useful there is a degree of flex that the bis next gen network can accommodate um so very much as harriet said open to hearing ideas brainstorming um yeah following the, the the needs so you've got you've you've got this this network, and presumably you 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 both thought that that was needed, despite the fact that you you both seem to have done a, like an amazing job of finding all these different places that would that 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 would kind of you you've managed to leverage for your own careers and for your own sanity. I'm thinking of things like the SGAC and this, the sort of more international things that you do as well. I mean, tell, tell us a little bit about all the kind of things that you've got involved with over the years that have really helped you? Yeah, maybe, maybe I can start off and talk a little bit about SGAC because that, that is my, uh, my uh, honestly, the, the Space Generation Advisory Council was what got me into the space industry and it was what really helped pivot pivot my career so I'm forever thankful and so glad that I can give back and 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 chair the organization now it's incredibly rewarding um but this is an organization that essentially supports students and young professionals um connect to the wider space industry on an international level right so we have over 15,000 members in over 150 countries we have national points of contact in in over 100 of those countries um 
including in the UK. And, you know, Jenna and I are working with the, the SGAC team in the UK to make sure that, we, you know, we want to collaborate with other organisations with what we're doing with the BIS. Um, but, but SGAC is very much on a kind of international level. So um, as, a, as a youth organisation, we also have a permanent observer status at the UN's Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. And that's something that's really incredible, which is that um, SGAC provides a platform for young people to come together, connect, either on particular topics that are of interest to them, but also, you know, meet up in in-person events around the world um, and come up with represent, uh, recommendations that are presented to the UN in terms of this is what the next generation thinks is important on, on these things. And and Jenna can talk about the Eagle Action Team who are going to be doing that exactly that like very soon, which is just amazing. Um, but it, it's really a, a just incredibly uh, international platform to be able to meet and connect with people from around the world. Um, we also organise a whole host of scholarships to help support, you know, students and your professionals attend international events. Um, and it was from attending my first SGAC event, um, oh gosh, a few years ago now that I, you know, met all these incredible people who, um, you know, shared my passion for space, but were pursuing it in all these different ways that I had no idea. You know, I didn't realize that space law was a thing, or you could be a, you know, project manager in a space company, or actually maybe you could do finance work or, you know, work on the business side. And that really you know, seeing all these incredibly inspiring peers, as well as being connected to industry leaders, was something that I found, um, yeah, just amazing. Yeah, and I think um, very much echo Harriet's opinion on the on SGAC. For me, it was, um, it's just somewhere where you can, it, it, a little bit like the BIS, but at a, you know, at a global level, um, you can really brainstorm and just get into really meaty discussions about the most weird aspects of space. Um, and so part of the part of my involvement is the, as Harriet said, the Eagle Action Team, which is putting together the, the our perspective on lunar governance. Um, and so part of our work, we've met with um, lots of different people, lots of different stakeholders from organizations around the world, really understanding um, what their perspectives on lunar governance are, given Given you know the, the tech is being developed, there is an ambition to go there, and actually, there's not a single coherent governance system that everyone has signed up to. So, you know, we really want to tackle this this potential of polarization when we get to the moon. We don't we want to be there as the world rather than certain countries, you know, having more of a presence or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a great team. Uh, Fourteen of us um, headed by Antonino who's a space lawyer, um, which is awesome. So again, very much embracing the diversity. Um, yeah, and I, I think the other, I think the thing that the BIS kind of feels a little bit different in it, it, it feels like such a local society. Um, so a lot of the things that as you can tell Harry and I are involved in are very global, whether that's from another country or a, a, you know, a, a wide scale organization, but the BIS really is this cute little building that's just full of all these space treasures um that everyone like knows each other and so yeah apart, the other things i've got involved in are definitely all all very incredible in their own different ways uh, for example the, the moon village association what we're doing is um this lunar commerce and economics working group is trying to understand what the revenue potential of the lunar economy would be uh you know the end markets transportation to and from the moon mining power 
what is the revenue potential for that? Because back to my point before, unless we can really articulate there is a business case, space will always be seen as as an as an investment. And actually we want to we want to show that you can you can get your investment back. And it's something that people should, you know, consider investing in versus oil and gas or some of the other more traditional industries. Um, so there's a whole a whole host, and I think it, it's a real turning point in the space industry for Involving young people, recognizing the voice, but also acknowledging that, as Harriet said, there's finance, there's law, there's business, there's all these other aspects that are really needed for the space industry to work. Um, it's actually been around for quite a while, and it's still seen as an emerging industry. Um, so the more we can, I, I remember, I remember when we were in, um, when I was in ISU, and Chris Welsh was saying, the more we can make space boring, the better. And I was like. Well, that's a bit uninspiring for day one of <laughs> <laughs> And then I realized what he meant. And I was like, you're so right. The more the more space is seen as boring and accessible, the better, right? The more we can all get involved in it, the better. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a fine line, isn't it, that one? Because, yeah, I've heard Chris say that before. <laughs> and yeah. and, and it, it, it is almost a weird – I think – I actually think he's paraphrasing Arthur C. Clarke or, or, or I can't remember who he's – I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's, 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 an, it's, it's definitely a BIS kind of mantra, that one. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, – yeah. the um, yeah, it's, it's – it, yeah, I, there's, a, there's a few things that, that I think are really important threads about where space is going in some of the things that you were just saying there about – Law, for example, we had a guest on quite recently talking about space law. And then mm, yeah. it was his spin on it. And I got quite a few emails back saying, you know, his spin on it was not the the entire truth, you know, not the entire story. And you think it, it seems like that's something that hasn't it hasn't been fleshed out by discussion anywhere near enough, has it? As in it feels as though it, it that people don't, still don't really have a handle on what the law is, how it needs to change, how difficult it would be to do that, how you know how impossible it is to to get everyone to sign up, and that's one of the things that's kind of I think quite exciting about those. Uh, you know, other areas of the space industries, there's so much more to do. There's so much more to do in terms of building and establishing space law. There is so much more to do in terms of, you know, thinking about space business from a commercial perspective, you know, rather than just, we're going to build this cool tech, and that's going to be great. And maybe someone will pay for it, you know, like, there's, there's so much more that we can do on the business side, on the, you know, on the legal side, on the regulatory side, where, um, yeah, the, yeah, we, we've got lots to keep us busy. I think that's that's what's exciting, right? <laughs> but the point that I was going to make was, was was more the fact that with commercialization of space and and you know the the law of space being a little bit wishy washy, maybe maybe not. I don't know. I can't quite get my head around it. But the you, you've got the, uh, the commercialization, but also it seems that some of the international alliances that have been made out of necessity because it was so hard to do stuff in space are now actually dissolving a little bit. You've just seen the Russians step away from the International Space Station, for example. Mm. Are these the sort of really big, uh, you know, zoomed out issues that that you want to get involved in? So I think from from my side, it it's definitely a um, one of the things that we you know we, we've explored during the the work Eagle Action Team are doing is definitely we've been trying to distill down um, all we've heard, all we've read into some principles and things like 
inclusivity, sustainability, you know, all these, all these are themes which everyone, we're hearing repeatedly, right? Whether we speak to someone from NASA or someone from Chile or someone all around the world, it feels like everyone is trying to sign up to the same set of principles, right? So, and, and to your point that, yes, space is so new um on one end you could use like science fiction and trying to design for that and put together a, a structure around that on the other end actually on earth we have some proxies we can look at right like when when the europeans expanded to other parts of the world uh, law of the seas all these other kind of um proxies and you know similar situations that we can we can learn our lessons from right we're not we're not starting from zero. And so I think people feel quite passionate about that, that let's try and do it right this time mm -hmm. um, and learn what we can. So I, I'm, I'm really hoping that by trying to decrease the fragmentation of all these different governance structures and all these different routes um, to, to the to moon or to the Mar to Mars, um, I really hope that kind of by doing some of what we can through organizations like SGAC, which really truly are global, people will start to see the common themes of actually we are trying to drive towards the same thing, right? Like we are going to the moon and to Mars for the same reason. It's this innate curiosity that humanity has. And so it, it's something that I'd love to tackle, but um, not as I'm not a lawyer. So yeah. <laughs> it may sound too dreamy. <laughs> Cause try, I, I get trying to get like all the countries on the earth to sign up to one document is going to be very difficult, but from a business side, I think the more we can collaborate internationally, and there's some great examples of that that's happened recently, um, the better. And that will help mitigate a lot of this polarization or, or fragmentation we're seeing. So I would, I would love, personally, I'd love to be able to tackle mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, no. Oh, so much in what you said, Jella, I was just like nodding furiously, just like, yes. I, I, and just to add to that, that, you know, kind of that interdisciplinary collaboration is so important, right? Because you're talking about how like, sure, you know, space is this emerging industry, you know, especially the commercialization of space is, you know, something that's, you know, been building over the last decade or two, right? And um, but there are there are other industries that have kind of faced these similar challenges. And so I, I, I was on a panel a few weeks ago and someone had this great quote and they were a they were an oil and gas lawyer, but applying that to the space world, which was really interesting. And they, they said something like, you know, why do we have to wait for a catastrophe in our industry? before we do something about this why don't we learn about the learn from the catastrophes in other industries you know and it, it's so true you know we've got so many benchmarks and well i was about um, to say exactly that i mean i was about to say exactly that it, it it's because let's take let's look at one space industry that is quite mature mm. and it does seem like the space industry has has taken its eye off the ball when it comes to something like space debris and and like the management of space and 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 keeping, you know, and keeping orbits clean and 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 or, or, you know that element of it. And you think you you know, it is going to take an accident or a disaster for people to finally really do something about it. I still think there's just it's it because of those commercial incentives. It's really hard to push people into thinking about stuff like that. 
Yeah. What, what do you think I spend literally all day trying to do, Matt? <laughs> well, I, I know. I literally. Know that I, obviously, I know, I know there's companies out there, you know, you know, and there have been for ages, haven't there? Lots of companies, yeah. you know, people thinking about the problem, saying we really need to do something about this. But it's like, uh -huh. it, you know, you can't help feeling that, that. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where, like, you know, at, at the end of the day, that issue, which is a really, really interesting one, is that the way I see it is it's not going to be solved by technology alone it's not going to be solved by policy alone and it's not going to be solved by you know creating a business case to do the cleanup alone you know you need all of those elements being pushed forward at the same time uh, to really move the dial and so it, it kind of ties back to what we were talking about before you know you need to be able to learn from other industries you need to be able to collaborate across business and technical areas and that's one of the things I think where the space sector can can gain so much is being able to, you know, think about these things very holistically um, and, and try and build those solutions. Because, you know, space industry's got a lot of, you know, policy challenges and business challenges as much as it has technical challenges, right? And so we tend to focus a lot on the technical piece, um, but maybe not so much on, on the other sides. And that's where that's where we need new recruits to join the space industry and, you know, get more involved and help solve these these pieces of the puzzle as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, is is there any sort of big shout outs to people that sort of helped you on your on your journey that, you know, other organisations that that have been really sort of special as part of your journey that you would love to point people to? Oh, I think for, for me, it's got to be, um, for me, it has to be ISU, I think. Um, ISU is always my my go-to if I need the most random data point about the space industry from the 19-whatevers. Someone in ISU will know it. <laughs> it's great. They can point, like, you know, it's, it's that kind of community. And I think for me, the shout-out um, actually was, so the, the other part of my story about when I saw the Martian, had a breakdown, I went running to my supervisor, called, and he, he's called Angelo, who unfortunately passed away in a wingsuit accident. He was kind of one of these crazy cool guys that, Wingsuits was a, you know, doctor of astrophysics, scuba diver, like, you know, road, like one of these rock stars just generally. So he passed away recently, but he's the one that pointed me to ISU. And um, I think, you know, people, people like that, that are very willing to listen to you and then really just try to direct you to in the space industry where you need to go are really invaluable. So I think my, my shout out would be to, to ISU in particular, Dr. Angelo, who's not with us anymore. But um, I think my, my piece of advice as well would just be to, and if anyone listening is wondering how to get into the space industry, find someone that can just listen to you, even if it's for a few hours and understand really what you want to get involved in um, and direct you to the, the, the best organization for you. Because um, somewhere like ISU will help you, and, and SGAC will help you figure out. Um, where you fit within the space industry. I think it's actually quite hard to figure out by yourself, right? Like if you're outside the industry, other than, you know, if, if you've been in touch with an organization like that, it's very hard to imagine a NASA of the world or an ESA of the world need someone like you. Um, so you can spend time scrolling endlessly through, you know, recruiting websites and whatever, but actually it's a very word of mouth community. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, it's, for me, it's ISU has just always been my, my uh, go-to home. <laughs> What, what about you, Harriet? 
Oh, um, uh, I do have to give a shout out to the wonderful Planetary Society because, like, oh, that that organisation. Well, we go back to googling Carl Sagan on a Sunday afternoon. Carl Sagan founded the Planetary Society, co-founded with with two other founders in the nineteen eighties to empower global citizens to advance space exploration. And and that was the first kind of space organization I got involved in, did some outreach events when I was living in New York, and then came back to the UK, organized Space Up, which I think is where maybe where I first met well, you, Matt. No, no I think I, I met you because of your Planetary Society. You re, you, that, you you went to the BIS and I, I picked up on the email and said, oh, well, you may as well come on the Interplanetary Podcast. Yeah, I think, I, think yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I picked up on it quicker than the BIS did. <laughs> but, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so but yeah, uh, yeah you, you were very brave and came round Jamie's house. I remember texting my mum being like, I'm going to see these two men to interview for a podcast. And uh, <laughs> if I don't if I don't respond in two minutes, please here's, uh, here's call the, the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, but yeah, so, you know, the planetary side, it gave me this incredible opportunity to like, you know, be an outreach coordinator in London, which really uh, was just an amazing opportunity. Um, and, and just, you know, it was from that kind of outreach, kind of re, re what's the right word, reinvigorated and reminded me of my passion for space. So I was like, huh, actually, maybe this is something I should do as a day job. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's always been just a, a great organisation. And then the other shout out I want to give is to, to Jenna, because Jenna and I met at the BIS at a, uh, a hackathon event. And and, you know, since then, we've started this crazy project of setting up this next gen network. And uh, that's the thing I just love about space is there's just so many incredibly inspiring, passionate people. And um, yeah, I'm just so glad that we've we've been doing this together. It's been so much fun. And I feel like we've we've gained a lot from it and we've learned a lot. And it's it's been great. So, yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the great thing, isn't it? I mean, I must admit, since doing the podcast, which is like five years, and I've done a lot of interviews now, and I have to say, virt virtually bar none, everyone is is a really inspirational person that you, that you talk to. And I think maybe there's some connection between sort of looking up and wanting, to, you know, that, that spirit of exploration and the spirit of... of you know, wanting to do something, go into the unknown, I think is mm. is a really great human trait that I think does does everyone well. It's bizarre that mm. it's always connected to music, though. I, like virtually everyone I meet <laughs> in space is also they do they they also love music. But maybe everyone loves music. Maybe I've I've I've, I've been fooled by some confirmation <laughs> bias. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have a secret rock band, I'm afraid, man. Uh, so. Uh, Maybe we. Uh, have I, to say, I think maybe you should both. Yeah, you should definitely set up a some form of rock band. Punk. <laughs> being a punk band. Just, just. Yeah, I mean, I, I can do a few things. I mean, I'll be standing there very much, either playing hot cross buns on a recorder or <laughs> digging my triangle, Harriet. So you're going to have to take <laughs> the lead on that one. <laughs> uh... There you go. You found your anomalies. You found the people who aren't musically gifted in any way. <laughs> if you want Titanic on a recorder, I'm your gal. But uh... apart from that. <laughs> as long as you can play the opening to the 21st century fox on recorder i always think that's the, that's my favorite yeah. and it's it, that also very much translates to the best day of your school life right like the day you nailed something like that on recorder 
It's the best day of school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So, Jenna, is there, is there anything that you're really looking forward to that's sort of coming up in – what are the things that are, you're finding really exciting at the moment in space? And, you know, what are the things that are coming up that you go, oh, my God, I can't wait for that to happen? Oh, my God, there is so much. There is so much. I mean, yeah, um, it's ridiculous at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, so I think what, one of the key things on, it sounds really broad and it's really not helpful, but honestly, <laughs> just seeing <laughs> just seeing the, the like, what, whatever we do on the moon start, right? Like the moment we first set up something on the moon and we're like, and you can take a step back and be like, oh, my God, I, you know, I, I was think part of the thinking of how this should be governed and, I put together a, bit, a business case for that and really just seeing how how it starts, how it pans out. Did we do enough front loading of investment of to try and plan for it? Um, you know, and I think that's kind of what a lot of what we're involved in is really front loading that. Let's think about the business. Let's think about the law to Harry's point. That um, So I think for me, it's just the very first time that we kind of touch back down humans touch back down on the moon with a view of we're here to stay and it's not going to be just another mission this is a start of a real pivot so um, essentially a moon oh. a moon base right that that's the thing that you if you want if i put one word it's moon, <laughs> moon base, base. Moon base. Uh, yeah yeah but with with i think it's going to be such a shift in mindset of the people landing on the moon next it's just going to be uh, yeah we, oh. it, it's how we started actually i was t- talking to harriet about Amazing. the excitement of star imagine seeing a starship landing on the moon. I mean, that is going to be a mind-blowing moment. I've got a bet with Eric Berger at the moment that because <laughs> Elon Musk said, "Yeah, it's going to happen in 2024," and I said, "If that happens, Eric, I'm going to eat your hardback book live, live because it's no way." You're going to do a Peter Beck. I am going to do a Peter Beck. I'm going to live stream myself eating the hardback version of Eric Eric Berger's liftoff book I, it, because I. 2024 seems ridiculous, but God, when it happens, I, I'll be, I'll yeah. happily eat my book if it's 2024, because it, it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be the most yeah. amazing moment ever. I'll, I'll happily eat the book. I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's, you know, and I just think that you, you hear like the older generation of I was alive when Neil Armstrong and da, 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 and we are going to be that the next generation that can experience that feeling. Right. Like it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I, and actually it's funny. You should mention Apollo because Apollo is another very good example where virtually everyone involved was in their twenties. You know, everyone involved in Apollo was in their twenties. You know, the, all the engineers, all the people in in the mission control. You know, they were just yeah. all, all young space people doing. So it, it's it's, um, it's yeah. you know that it, it's almost as though it's it's the best age to be because you're because you you've got the most enthusiastic ideas. Yeah, and the energy clearly, Harriet and I. Like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, we can't keep doing this forever, yeah. right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, but for me, it's that it's when we when we touch back down with the with the idea of we're staying here. Oh, what a moment! Yeah, what? M- m- yeah, I, I'm going to be very excited about that. So, no two ways about it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's where it's at, isn't it? Hu- human, there is something very exciting about human exploration. I think you can't. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that it, it, it's phenomenal how oh, I'm going to go all like philosophical here, but space is honestly like it, it's present in ancient Egyptians. It's present in religion. It's present in the most scientific studies. It's one of these things that really has spanned civilizations and generations and whatever. And so 
you know, for us to be, all of us, to be alive when that progression changes and really takes a step change, it's just awesome. Absolutely awesome. What about you? Oh. What about you, Harriet? I was going to say, what a note to end. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and then I whip out the recorder and we play a tune. <laughs> you, can play, you can play the podcast theme on recorder. It's going to be brilliant. Oh, there you go. You've got a new closing soundtrack. I could already see it. <laughs> There we go. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> what it would sound like, to be honest. Completely <laughs> <Really> redundant. No, <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yeah, I, no. sh- I, I should point out that my dad was a fe- a, a, essentially a professional recorder player, so I do have a, 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 a nice a nice connection with the recorder. Oh wow! Yeah, it's not just a silly. It's not cool. just a silly instrument. <laughs> well, we we should have much more respect for it now. Yeah, actually. so don't <laughs> take the piss. Don't take the piss out of recorders. <laughs> Thanks very much for both for both joining me and telling me about about all that stuff because it, it is really it is really exciting. What an exciting time to be you two and anyone else that wants to do it as well. I'm, I'm I am a little bit jealous. Is that okay for me to be jealous? <laughs> yeah, but it's not too late, Matt. We were talking about this, right? No, but thank you so much for having us. And it, I think it's just yeah, it's just to your point that. BIS is open to people 18 to 35, but I think anywhere, no matter what age, no matter where you're from, can find a home in space. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can go to www.interplanetary.org.uk. I'll put some links to all the stuff that you've been talking about there Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe a few biogs and pics and stuff. And... um, if you really, if you really like the podcast, then you can uh, go to patreon.com forward slash interplanetary and join the Discord. Harriet, you're on the Discord, aren't you? I've invited I, you. On. I am on the Discord. I should be more active yeah, on the Discord because yeah. I see some appear. great chat. <laughs> yeah, more for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should. You could. You could. You know that you've got. But you've got a captive space nerd audience there. I know, yeah. It's a, it's a great place to be, for sure. <laughs> it is. There's been quite a few quite a few new members as well. It's it's growing all the time. Well, when it, well the weather's looking beautiful, so I'm going to go and enjoy my Sunday day. So thanks very much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, and, thanks uh, for having push, us. Push yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Awesome. Bye-bye, Spotify.